Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It is a Sacred Heart Radio Book Club edition of Sound Insight. I'm joined by Father Kurt Nagel and Father Jeff Lewis. Good morning, fathers. Good morning, Tom. Great to be here again. This is one of those days where, among all the programs that we do together, and there's this distance or discrepancy between the amount of content we're going to cover and the amount of time we have, I don't know if we've ever faced such a big hill to climb as we do today. That's my humble opinion. <laughs> Father Nagel, what do you think? I'm just trying to think back. If this, yeah. <laughs> Maybe the Von Balthasar volume at some point. There we go. That's true. Yeah, so there, there, there may be one or two contenders, but today we're reading a book by Father Robert Spitzer called Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives, The Cosmic Struggle Between Good and Evil. And uh, it is an amazing book, and we'll dive right back into it in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. We're going to have Father Nagel open the program with a scripture and a prayer. I chose this scripture, not just the title, but the, uh, the overall, one of the overall themes of the book is that struggle, again, between uh, Christ and Satan, good and evil. So I thought uh, chapter 12 of Revelation 7 through 12 would be good. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels battled against the dragon. The dragon and its angels fought back but they did not prevail, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. The huge dragon, the ancient serpent, who was called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world, was thrown down to earth, and its angels were thrown down with it. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have salvation and power come, the kingdom of our God and the authority of his anointed. For the accuser of our brothers is cast out, who accused them before our God day and night. They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Love for life did not deter them from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. For woe to you, but woe to you, earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great fury, for he knows his, he has but a short time. Gracious God, I ask you, your blessings upon all of us as we do struggle in our daily lives um, to do God's will, your will, Lord. And I ask your blessings upon all of us that we might be strong in virtue and in our faith and again protected against the temptations and the attacks of the devil and his minions. And we ask all this through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. So today we have this book, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives, The Cosmic Struggle Between Good and Evil. And in it, as we have the conversation today, we're going to just cover this, in the first part of the book. There are two main parts and then some appendices. And so even just covering the first main part of this book is quite a task. Um, before we dive in, just to be able to do something before we dive in, um, <laughs> I want to uh, bring up that one of the themes that manifests itself in here is this sense of call and response, that the Lord has a call for us. We are called to imitate him as he went out into the desert and fought against Satan, but ultimately it's about being prepared to fulfill the call that the Lord has for our lives. And there are two like beautiful happenings that one has happened earlier this week, and one that's going to happen, well, we're recording on Friday the 25th, tomorrow in the Archdiocese of Seattle. I'm talking about Quo Vadis days, mm. and I'm talking about the ordination to the priesthood of um, of some men uh, in the Archdiocese of Seattle. So I'm looking at you, Father Lewis, first, because you came into our home. The first thing you did was shame my son, so, <laughs> but with joy. You did it with great joy and enthusiasm because of what happened at Quo Vadis Days. What are Quo Vadis Days? And just give us like a, like a wow, this is what happened. 
Well, Covadas Day is, is um, kind of a format for a brief week-long summer camp for high school boys. Um, actually started about 15 years ago, I think, the Archdiocese of Portland with Monsignor John Syak, and then Seattle picked it up like the next year or the year after. And dioceses throughout the country have kind of picked up this format as a means of bringing guys out of the home and out of their usual element into a summer camp setting where they can be with uh, with other guys who, who believe as they believe and think as they think, but and to just to have fun. So it's a summer camp, but with a retreat feel, you know, definitely infused throughout. And the whole thrust of it is to uh, build up a sense of community among the guys that, hey, it's okay to be Catholic and normal, uh, but also to uh, foster a, just an overall culture of discernment and vocation awareness. And then ultimately with the specific end of, of promoting the vocation to the priesthood and, and help the guys to know how they can hear God's call, whether God is calling them to the priesthood, and how they can respond. So there's our camp this year had an emphasis on on how do you uh, grow as a disciple of Jesus, and out of that, okay, how do you discern your role in Jesus's kingdom, in Jesus's church, and then how can you arrive at a decision? Uh, so discipleship, discernment, decision kind of became the three pegs of the, uh, the three uh, legs of the stool. And uh, we had uh, this year Spokane. We uh, we just had it this past week. We had uh, 41 uh, high school boys come out. Um, we had 10 staff members between priests and seminarians to uh, to guide them in small group discussion and to be with them through the week. And um, it was a great it was a great camp. I think um, I think a couple of the seniors had uh, some one on one with our vocations director to kind of talk about immediate next steps for them and for the younger guys you know at least if they can return to camp and keep it going and then throughout the year we'll we'll keep doing some follow-up on how to help them continue pr praying and discerning and helping them to answer questions they may have well and father lewis i've said this to you it, it's one of the more impressive things that i have noticed about you living out your priesthood is that you not only do it joyfully you do it in a way that says i am a, someone who wants to invite young men to come near and to just come and see, mm -hmm. right? So you do that with your Melchizedek project group there in, in your own parish, inviting guys to come and reflect on Scripture together. Just, again, get them talking and, and thinking that, you know, a call from God, a call from God to the priesthood is a, a noble thing. It's a holy thing. And it's something that you ought to consider. Yeah. So just thank you for doing that. Thank you for promoting the yeah. priesthood the way that you do. It's just, it's too rare and it's a wonderful thing to see. Father, Father Nagel, I know you also have a, um, a, a background understanding uh, the Covati days in, in uh, the Archdiocese. Uh, we were blessed to have, I think, right, as, you, as you mentioned, we started up right after uh, Monsignor Syak started his in Portland. Um, I know Father Derek Lappy and Father Hans Olsen have been for, for many years have been uh, running that for us. I think it's now uh, being transferred over to, it's kind of handed over to Father Tyler Johnson and, and uh, Father Justin Ryan. But, you know, it. I've taken part. It's a it's a great thing. It really does work. And I, I serve on the seminarian review board for our archdiocese. And it's interesting to hear the the seminarian prospects and and their histories. And oftentimes, Vocovatus comes up now uh, in terms of their discernment and part of their discernment history. So, I, and I always like to try to tell uh, Father Dare, Father Lappy, and Father Olson and, and others that you know, hey, there's some fruit being born here. Um, it's, it's great for, you know, obviously 90-some percent don't go on to the seminary, but it's, it's bearing fruit in all sorts of ways. So God bless those who organize and participate. Well, and you just think one of the fruits is 
for how many of those 90% do they take discipleship more seriously? Do they take discernment more seriously? Do they take God's call for their lives that they're supposed to respond to more seriously? And then even just generationally, how many of them then go on to say, if God blesses us with children, do we also raise up in their minds this same horizon of discerning and deciding even for religious vocations, priestly vocations? Yeah, I, I again, I just see that it's, and you see the same kids come back sometimes, and it is a formation process for them. It's it's a sort of an, uh, formation intensive each summer, even though they probably don't even think of it as such. They're playing, they're swimming in the swim pool, they're playing soccer, they're doing all sorts of things. But it is, you know, again, for a high school student, most of them are high school. In early days, we we had quite, you know, some college age and and older, but it's mostly high school. But it's a great a great opportunity for kids. And then you have uh, in Seattle the, uh, the ordination to the priesthood right. t- tomorrow on, on the 26th. This yeah. is airing on the 28th, but on Saturday the 26th is the, uh, was the ordination. Yeah, right, exactly. And it's a blessing to be able to go back into the cathedral to uh, celebrate that Mass. So last year we really couldn't do it. We, that was the first time I'd ever missed an ordination for our archdiocese, and that was a, that was a loss. But, but this year we, to be able to go back and participate again is a real blessing. That's wonderful. What a, yes. So uh, today in Sound Insight, we are digging into this book, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives, The Cosmic Struggle Between Good and Evil, written by Father Robert Spitzer. But it's not a standalone book, it, though it could, and it does actually stand alone. It stands as part of, well, why don't you tell us, Father Lewis, what does it stand a part of? <laughs> well, Father, I guess a larger context, Father Robert Spitzer, previously president, uh, priest president of Gonzaga mm-hmm. University here in Spokane, is... Um, has since uh, started his own um, institute, his Mag- Magis Institute, a, 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 um, an organization that um, the purpose of which is to basically it's a response to the new evangelization, new ways to respond to the new atheism, new ways to introduce the faith uh, to people, and to and to challenge us to grow in our faith if we already are believers. And um, he's written many books, many books. Um, previous to this trilogy, uh, that, uh, of which today's book is the first volume, uh, he had written what, what he colloquially calls the quartet. And I've read them before, but I didn't realize that they were quartet, so I read them completely out of order. And they, they can stand alone. They don't necessarily build on top of each other. But Father Spitzer's project is, um, and he states it several times pretty succinctly in this book anyway, that, that we're trying to inspire, con- he's trying to inspire conversion in the hearts and souls of his readers and, and people who hear him. And too often, the church, or at least members of the church, will try to reach out to someone and begin with moral conversion. I see that you're a sinner in this way, you need to stop doing that. Well, you know, you're telling them that they need to do that, but you, you have yet to, A, earn their trust to get, tell them that, and B, uh, you haven't given them a reason why. So he starts what seem, may seem counterintuitive, but it he makes the argument that it works. You've got to start with an intellectual conversion, and that's previous to this trilogy is this quartet, and the quartet are different aspects of this intellectual conversion. So that God exists and how we can know that. How do we know that God wants us to be happy? He's got one of the volumes is, uh, I think, it's Pursuit of, of Happiness. Or yeah, pursu- finding True Happiness. Finding True Happiness, and and he has uh, laid out in, in, in um, another work of his that there are four levels of happiness, a very surface, uh, visceral kind of level, and then deep, deep, uh, high, uh, deeper levels, higher levels, uh, where you pursue God, the love of God for, for God's own sake. 
And um, anyway, those are part of the intellectual conversion. And in one of those books, I can't remember which one, but he actually goes deep into proof for the existence of God from the uh, point, uh, point of view of near-death experiences, which is a fascinating read. But all that uh, couched in the idea of uh, intellectual conversion. And then he proceeds into this book, into this trilogy, where he goes from intellectual conversion to spiritual conversion. So if we can believe that God exists, then we should know why I should care. And I suppose that's, a, that's the answer to why I should care is, a, is an aspect of spiritual conversion. And part of the need for spiritual conversion is that not only God exists, we should want to be on God's team, but, but that there is a team to be on. That it's not just God free floating around, but that there's consequences if we don't choose God and that there's an enemy out there trying to pull us away from God. And so the point of this book, he kind of summarized it pretty quick in, in, an early, in the introduction to the trilogy, but he says that you know he's trying to strive the the proper moderate middle, and just give a sober, simple um, survey of of how evil works, how Satan works, how sin and temptation work, because we're kind of those who try to maintain that central moderate middle, we're pinned between two extremes. On the one extreme, you got folks that are over romanticizing the occult and just an, an, an unhealthy and very dangerous fascination of it, and so it gets turned into Hollywood movies, gets turned into myth, uh, contemporary mythologies and things like this. Um, and so people dabble in the occult because I'm fascinated by this. I want to learn more, they say, and so they go too far. And on the other extreme are people who just completely poo-poo the, the dark side of the spiritual realities. And and uh, and so Satan is just not, not a real person, but is kind of the manifestation, the personification of that which we call evil in the abstract. Uh, that's the other extreme, and he's trying to say with this book that neither of those are correct, both of those are dangerous, and I'm going to present what is true and what's the moderate, correct middle. Yes, and um, Father uh, Nagel, thank you for that overview. It, it's really hard to summarize. That. that was one of the most challenging overviews ever, and that was the first Amen. time Father Lewis did it. So and I bailed out on job. that one, so thank you. Father, Father Nagel's like, yeah, I, mean, I have a cold today. Yeah. I don't got to do it. I don't feel you too know? good. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Well, Father Nagel, what is your sort of impression of of having read the book? You know, it's interesting. My my experience with Father Spitzer first, you know, personally, he's a, a wonderful guy. He's actually come to our parish for a conference, and he's just very uh, a wonderful speaker in person. But uh, yeah, there's something very I don't know if it's Jesuitical or the uh, scholastic, it, just the organization of the whole thing. Uh, it's it's kind of I want to say scholastic, not in, not really in a scholastic method per se. But just in the way that he, he, he his mind is obviously a, a very well-ordered creature. And, and so I, and I, I, looking at this book itself, I, there's two parts. We're only looking at part one today. But actually, I can hardly wait to get to part two. I mean, I think that the heart for me of this book was the beginning, um, when we're talking about spiritual life. Um, and but then there's the part about Satan itself, which I don't, that's, that's good, it's interesting, et cetera. But I think the you know the the work on the um, the deadly sins towards towards the last quarter or third of the book is worth the price of admission itself. I think you know in terms of just um, something that everybody listening to this radio today could could profit from is that having built up the system that he uses in the beginning of the book, and then to go into those uh, just a really he, his psychological as well as spiritual insights are amazing. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, you know, it, before the program, before we um, started recording, it was like, 
what do we leave out and what do we focus on? And, and honestly, like, I think the principle we were using most of all wasn't let's be you know, equally covering each of the sections, but rather what would you, dear listeners, find the most valuable and important? And that's what we're going to emphasize. We will, we'll touch upon the other chapters, which are chapters two and three that cover Christ and Satan in the scriptures and then talk about the devil is real in chapter three. But the first chapter has so much richness. And what I discovered about Father, uh, Father Spitzer in this book is um, something unique. Um, like compared to what he's written in the Ten Universal Principles and um, and in his book on um, on uh, 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 what's it called uh, healing, the healing the culture yeah, sorry healing, healing the, culture. the culture and in his other books in the quartet is that he's very intellectual very mm-hmm. like um, like abstract but super clear super logical here he reveals so much about his own right. spiritual That's life. True. Yeah. <laughs> That was like, oh my goodness, does he know what he's just done? He just did here by sharing about his experiences of peace, of the Holy Spirit, of moving, and of sin and struggling. <laughs> and I'm like, man, that's the struggle you got? <laughs> I'm like, I got discouraged. But I was like, that's all you got to bring to the table as the manifestation of pride in your life. But, anyways, um, you will find in this book glimpses into like the heart and the spirit, uh, the spirituality of, um, of Father Spitzer that I haven't seen in any of his other writings, honestly. The last thing I'll mention is this, is I have interviewed him on the program about this book. And here's something that he didn't really say in the book. Uh, But do you know the impetus that got him to write this book? In fact, to write the trilogy? It was COVID. Mm, Really? Yeah, what happened was COVID hits, things get shut down, and he began to see and hear the impacts of COVID on people's spiritual lives, he began to notice and discern what was happening in the world around him. And he's like, why can't people see the devil at work in this? Why can't people see the battle that's happening? So look at now the title and the light of that. Christ versus Satan in our daily lives. It's not Christ versus Satan in the sway of salvation history, but in our Yours and mine, listeners, our daily lives. It's a cosmic struggle between good and evil that is playing itself out in our today. And so I don't know if that is like a, that gives you shivers or that makes you say, holy cow, that's a whole new line of uh, thought into this. Well, I picked up also, you know, as you say, the, the very um, personal, heightened personal nature of this book versus some of our other writings. And so I was kind of wondering, where is this coming from? And um, it, it felt a lot of it was personal enough that um, that maybe something as universal as COVID. But I was wondering if the impetus was it was uh, the when the moment when he, he so he's got macular degeneration in his eyes, so he's now completely blind, but he could still kind of see for a while. And maybe when he had to give up the give up the ghost, so to speak, that how hard did that hit him? And maybe from th- that spiritual anguish or whatever arose this that's oh, why i was so interesting that's yeah. what i would have guessed but if he said mm-hmm. COVID, i mean i can see that now yeah um yeah father nagel i i'm not i i to be honest the the book i haven't read that much of, of spitzer before i i i did notice um i, I read parts of healing of the culture and but I, that's about it and so i didn't have as much background and i, I didn't ask the question of where it came from but i did notice that even with the the little i've had read before that this book, he was sharing himself, and uh, I thought that was a very attractive part of the book, frankly. 
Yes. Well, we're up against a break. When we come back, we're going to dive into Chapter 1. And um, Father Nagel, we're going to let you choose a section first, um, though I'm going to hope that you will choose it from the very beginning that talks about the peace beyond all understanding. Um, and, and maybe we can actually, maybe we can just progress our way through the chapter because yeah. he, it's a very progressive, um, it does really build off of it. So maybe we'll just begin with, like the title is The God of Love is With Us, but then um, start talking about uh, some, again, these rich, profound insights. Folks, you're going to love them in just a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sunset. This is Tom Kern. I'm with Father Kurt Nagel, Father Jeff Lewis. We're talking about the book Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives, The Cosmic Struggle Between Good and Evil. This is a book to get. Now, it's a rich book. It, it has tremendous depth, clarity, teaching in it by Father Robert Spitzer. It's published by Ignatius Press, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives. It's volume one of this trilogy. We will recommend uh, next week when we go over part two of the book, we'll go into further details about the other book's just to kind of reference them for you. But right now we are diving into chapter one of, um, of the book uh, in this first part, which is the God of love is with us. And Father Nagel, I'll let you uh, identify the, uh, as we were walking our way through the chapter where you would like to begin with something that jumped out at you. Well, one of the things is on page 48, uh, peace in times of suffering. And I preached about this probably because I was reading, as I was reading the book, this jumped out of me, and so I actually brought it into a homily. He was, uh, and here's one of the personal pieces uh, uh, Father Spitzer brings out. He talks about the time his um, his father had died, and so, and he, he his father died at a fairly young age, and and he thought to himself, I should not be feeling this. Uh, this was really tragic. My father was only 59 years old, and furthermore, my mother is probably frantic, and furthermore, my sister's not finished with college, and furthermore, et cetera, et cetera. And the more the Holy Spirit attempted to intervene with peace, the more I guilted myself out of it. I came later to find through multiple experiences of this peace in the midst of, of troubles that the Spirit was genuinely present working within my life and the lives of people around me to bring, out good of, to bring good out of what seemed so negative. And so my advice is to take the peace and follow the lead of the Spirit who assures us that everything is going to be all right. So what he, his point here is, is that he wants to... Um, he says... When I was younger, he had experiences of the peace of the Holy Spirit, but I actually tried to talk myself out of them. And so for, for me, I had a similar experience when my father died at age 58 uh, suddenly, and, and I, wasn't, I wasn't overwhelmed by it. Um, I, I recognized the tragedy, and, I, I, and like him, I felt guilty by the, the way I was feeling, that I wasn't, I wasn't being crushed more. And I do feel the same. I had this, so I identified with this very personally in, in my life. And the idea was of, of a wake-up... What this, what this reading did, I didn't notice at the time. This would have been back in 1995, and so, you know, I was in the seminary. But spiritually, it didn't, it didn't connect me that, that this was the Holy Spirit working at the time. But when I was reading this, I said, "Oh yeah, this is a great example of the way in which I have not been able to identify the Spirit in my life, even though the Spirit has been present." And so, the idea of not talking myself out of, again, not being guilted out of recognizing the Spirit in our lives. Um, so for, for me, that that was a, a great insight in terms of, again, weaving in the Holy Spirit into Spitzer's own life and then the idea of, of our own uh, conversion process. Father Lewis. Well, um, I was uh, struck immediately, even prior to that, you know, the, the book is called Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives. And right away, uh, he begins chapter one, the introduction section of that, 
with a discussion of the role of the triune God, and then the first section, the guidance, power, and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and a great deal of the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, which as I was reading it and as I'm looking at it again, you know, Christ versus Satan, you know, we can, we can get, uh, I can anyway, I can get overwhelmed by, um, you know, there's so much evil present and, you know, is, is, does Jesus really have it in hand? And, well, the winning side, if, if only by the fact that there are three persons versus one going on here, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit versus Satan, and we're on the winning side. So reminding us of that and that the Holy Spirit, he begins a section, the Lord has given us a most remarkable gift, the gift of his Spirit. Who has filled us? Who who is filled with peace, love, protection, unity, inspiration, truth, and life? And you know, and so he goes from there to speak about one of those gifts, peace, and then a peace beyond all understanding. But, but I was struck that he started right away in this book that is titled after Christ on the role of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. And um, it's a I thought it was a brilliant place to begin because the Holy Spirit is omnipresent and, and still in lives. We are in the age of the Holy Spirit, you know. And in the Holy Spirit, ironically, is the forgotten person of the Trinity, as I've said sometimes my, you know, in homilies and things. And, and so he's already trying to inspire within us, inspire, you know, to put the breath into us and the Spirit in us, that, that the Holy Spirit is not to be forgotten, but, you know, we are, you know, but it, you know, we are in his midst. He is in, our, he is in our hearts and our souls. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And so he begins right away with reminding us of that. And then goes into talking about, as I say, it goes about peace, peace in the times of suffering, peace of understanding, uh, peace in times of persecution. But it all began with the role of the Holy Spirit. I thought that was great. Well, and you know, the um, uh, I, I was when I read this chapter, the the more I read in it, the more I was like, oh, Father Jim Northrup would love to be here. I'm sure if he's reading this, he's jumping up and down right now and, and very excited. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to be on this week. Hopefully, when we do, we cover part two. Because he does beautifully, like again, talk about systematic, talk about yeah, organized. Systematic. You know, it's so like powerful. He lays out this theology of the Holy Spirit as it relates to our own practical existence as disciples at the level of our own spiritual attunement to what's happening in our lives. And so the work of the Spirit to bring that peace beyond understanding, inspiration and guidance, transformation in the heart of Christ, and then working with the Holy Spirit. And those are the four sections in this chapter. And um, Father Nigla started the dive into a peace beyond all understanding, which he breaks up into three parts. (laughs) There are three different elements to this peace beyond understanding. Okay, this is a little quivy. Don't look in your books. I'm looking. (laughs) (laughs) I got to cheat. (laughs) Okay, so... Uh, when I, I love to reflect and teach about the concept of peace, right? St. Paul, peace beyond all understanding is, is what is given to us as this gift. It's our inheritance. But he uses a metaphor for peace oh, yeah. I know, that I, I had not encountered I, I before. I know what you're talking about. And I was like, I was like looking for tranquilitas ordinis, right? So that, that's what peace is, the tranquility of things being in order. But he used a beautiful, like accessible and, and uh, attractive um, me, like central metaphor for the concept of peace. You, Father, fa- so right now, Father Lewis has no peace, Father Nagel. So home. I'm going to, I'm going to have home. I, I can't cheat at home. I'm going to, he can't cheat. He's so. right here in the room with okay, me. Okay, go ahead, Father Nagel. What is this metaphor? Well, the one I picked up was home. The idea yes. of being home. That, mm-hmm. I preached about that too. See, I've taken this book. And, so, <laughs> but seriously, I thought that was a very powerful vision. I think, it, I think it's very useful for everybody to think about. Well, why don't we just read it, yes, and then I'll let you, uh, fathers, just reflect on it briefly. This is on uh, the bottom of 47. The peace coming from the Holy Spirit is more than a relief from suffering, a sense of well-being, or a sense of equanimity. It is rooted in a deep sense of home. 
home amid the cosmos, which we who have faith know is being at home with God. Its opposite is alienation, a sense of not being at home, home in, or being out of kilter with the totality. The signature of the Holy Spirit is the sense of having a place in the totality, of fitting in, of being bathed in joy or light, even when one is aware of sadness and darkness, that is, of being in unity with the creator and principle of all being, the Trinity. And then he goes on from there, but I'll just pause and just say, now, Father Lewis, did you remember that? Oh, yes. Okay. Well, I, I even noted on that uh, the idea of, you know, he calls it fitting in. I call it, you know, it just makes sense. And um, I kind of used to joke when I, uh, when I was first made pastor, I was pastor of three rural parishes north of Spokane. And uh, I'd come to, down to Spokane for, you know, Dialson meetings or whatever. And, and just uh, even though I grew up in Spokane, the frenetic pace of life of the, the big city of Spokane is, uh, you know, I'd be like, I, I would tell people, I got to go back up north where things make sense. <laughs> because I felt like, you know, that had be, so much become my home as a, as a pastor. And so I felt like I, I fit in, you know, the salt of the earth types of the, of the countryside. And, and, um, and I got to be the, you know, I had the privilege of being their pastor. So it just made sense. And um, that's kind of how I equated it. He called it fitting, fitting in, fit, you know, there's a place for you at the table. And it just makes sense that you're there. Um, so, yes, I, I noted on that. I, I missed the initial metaphor and took right to <laughs> fitting in. Anything you want to mention on that, Father Nagel? I'm going to push forward. I, I would just say that he used to, this is a, something he comes back to. He only, he really puts this in with the transcendentals. Uh, there's a place where he talks about good, true, and beautiful, and he says, and the sense of home. It's just like this. This is the telos. I mean, this is the goal is to experience this because it is being w- within the Trinity, which God is our home. And so again, but I think that idea of fitting in home. These are concepts that everybody sh- they, we have a feeling of what that means, and so I think it's a powerful way. Well, and what I thought of was um, St. John Paul II, who highlighted among the different sins that were associated with the fall, the one that is most prominent today wasn't pride or disobedience, it was mistrust, Mm -hmm. that uh, Adam and Eve did not trust the word of the Father, but surrendered to the word of the devil. And mistrust means I'm an alien, Mm -hmm. I don't fit in, I don't belong, I can't trust existence itself. And so that, I believe, is one, let's call it one of the pivots in the battle of Christ versus Satan is, do you belong in this world? Are you at home in the world that God has created? Or are you an alien? Are you, you don't belong, you don't trust because you're stuck, trapped, threatened, uh, and, and there is no fitting in. There is no belonging here. I would even right. think in terms of that, the expulsion from Eden, that you're mm-hmm. kicked out of home and, and the angels are, have cut off the way back in. So again, the, the sense of being expelled is uh, from the home. I, I, that's good. I think that's there too. That's really good. So moving forward then, then peace comes to us in times of suffering, but what about times of persecution? And again, beautiful insights that were very personal here. Um, Father Lewis, why don't you share first... He says, have you ever experienced being marginalized, embarrassed, or even threatened because of your faith or your loyalty to Christ or the church? If you're anything like me, when these situations occur, you might feel a deep dejection, emptiness, or even a sense of foreboding or evil. These feelings may, deliberate, uh, may debilitate you 
for a few moments or even cause disturbance of sleep. These feelings can be mitigated by praying the prayer, Thy loving will be done. The more I surrender to God through this most efficacious prayer, the more I sense God's guidance, and the more I know that the persecution incurring will result in a better condition for others, my organization, my community, and yes, even me. The Holy Spirit grants us serenity through surrender, and then guides and inspires. Mm-hmm. Father Lewis. Well, in the start of the very next paragraph, this sense of confidence about the redeeming love of God is not a sense that God is going to bail me out of the bad situation and the bad feelings that accompany it. Rather, it is a sense that's promised in the Gospels. But I, I hook on to that word confidence. Peace for me in times of persecution, you know, I would be rattled by that if I weren't solidly grounded and confident uh, in my relationship with God. You know, I might be too self-conscious even to wear my collar out in public, lest someone go by and make some kind of comment as they drive by or something. Now that doesn't really phase me. I, in fact, it, it, it well, it phases me, but in another direction. I don't worry about me. I, I worry about that person. Like, what kind of life do they live that they have to make some lewd comment because I'm wearing a collar as they drive by? But I'm not rattled to my core because I have this confidence of who I am as a priest of Jesus Christ and as a beloved son of the Father. And that brings me peace and confidence and out of that joy. And uh, so anyway, uh, the peace in times of persecution for me, what that looks like is confidence. And he says it right here in that next paragraph after the section begins. Father Nagel. And I, I think that word too, just like home I and mean, confidence, we want confidence. I mean, there's some people who are probably overconfident and that's not seeming to self-confidence, not their problems. But I mean, how many of those of us here today are listening? Um, we lack confidence and we wish we had it. Um, and so again, there's that sense. We know what it means not to have confidence. We also know what it means to have confidence, um, and, and what that feels like. And so, and I think he just wants us to put down confidence in this situation comes with the Holy Spirit, uh, that we can't produce that, but that, that we can just like courage, we want it. So confidence, um, the, the Holy Spirit can bring us that. And so mo- how many of us have been in that experience where, boy, it just, I just don't feel confident. I, I feel I, I, and it's a horrible feeling, but the Holy Spirit's the answer to that. And so, again, he touches on a, a very powerful um, human experience and the Holy Spirit's um, kind of answer to that or the solution. So, for me, this is one of those places where he revealed more than he mm-hmm. thought when he was saying that, you know, you feel this sense of foreboding or evil, and these feelings may de- uh, debilitate you for a few moments or even cause disturbance of sleep. I'm like, that's all you got <laughs> for a few moments. I'm like, how about months? How about years of just feeling traumatized and wounded and just like, God, where are you? Um, that is more my experience. Well, I, I thought that just a little bit farther down, he was kind of, maybe I was reading into it, but the more I sense God's guidance, the more I know that the persecution occurring will result in a better condition for others, my organization, my community. And yes, I was thinking about his own time and, you know, in Gonzaga or within his community, there's probably times when he's, you know, he has faced difficulties, um, and that's what that was coming out there, as far as I could could read. But maybe I'm reading into that. Well, I did, and what I'm saying is, he's a lot holier than I am, because <laughs> in the midst of like ongoing persecution and like debilitating, seemingly conditions that would debilitate most people, he was able to come to peace. And yeah. praise be to God for that gift. I wrote in the margin next to that section. Jesus, you take over. Mm-hmm. You know that prayer? Uh, Father Delindo Ruotolo's prayer. I, I mean, I, I'm probably playing the recording of that YouTube video in my life at least once a week. It's just that sense of, Lord, you have to come in and take over from 
the feeling of being overwhelmed by what I'm facing right now. I know you have peace for me. I know you're in charge. I know these things, but you got to talk to my feelings. You got to talk to the root of this because it ain't sinking in yet. Mm-hmm. So uh, that I think that um, as people read this, they may um, they they could come to a conclusion that oh, Father, you know, either he's really holy and he gets through it very quickly, and I'm not there, or I would love a word that speaks to people who are in these conditions a lot, lot, lot longer and feel it much more in a much more debilitating manner. So, okay, the third one was peace necessary for good judgment. And boy, I got to <laughs> tell you, maybe we got to do 17 programs on this because there's no way we're going to make this. There's a good in time. story in this one. Yeah. Yes, there is. <laughs> so, this is the peace necessary for good judgment. And so, Father Nagel, why don't you tell the story? Well, he's talking again. He's talking about a subordinate. I, I can't. I, have, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing this, but I think he's you know President Gonzaga or something like that or something. And uh, I recall once being given excellent advice by my by a subordinate who did not, in my view, adequately acknowledge my quote unquote superior intellect. He was simply asserting his opinion as better than my own. Exclamation point. This really upset me. Indeed, I found it deeply disturbing, and this led to a, a reflection on how others had similarly mistreated me. And I immediately began to make mountains of the molehill, etc. And then the Holy Spirit began to weave his wonderful grace into my heart, but at first I would not listen. It was as if the Holy Spirit was telling me, Bob, move over and let me drive for a minute. But I had to reply, I'll get back to you as soon as possible. I need to drive this car into the wall first. And so, so again, there's that, that sense of, I mean, that's, um, I think his, you'd mentioned how little his pride is, but I don't think so. I think he's an intellectual, I think his pride is, is his main problem. Um, and it's an intellectual pride, and that he's all, he's usually the smartest guy in the room. Um, and when that's not acknowledged, he admits here that this is his problem. And I'm sure it probably he's not telling the biggest stories uh, in terms of how that's gotten him in trouble. But that's his issue, and that he wants to drive the car into the wall. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we're up against a break. When we come back, um, Father Lewis, I know, wanted to share there. So, Father Lewis, you're going to have to humble yourself. And we, wanted, we have a, so much more to cover today on Sound Insight with this beautiful book that we're reading by Father Robert Spitzer, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. It's the Sacred Heart Radio Book Club edition of the program. I'm with Father Jeff Lewis and Father Kurt Nagel, and we're going through the book Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives by Father Robert Spitzer, The Cosmic Struggle Between Good and Evil. We're covering part one of the two parts plus appendices in this book, uh, which is the first book of a trilogy, but we're probably only going to cover chapter one and not even the whole chapter. (laughs) There's a humble recognition of what's going on here. Um, In this chapter, he talks about four distinct ways that the Holy Spirit transforms our lives. And the first one was bringing peace. Now, the second one is inspiration and guidance, which he, again, breaks down into three different means of providing or aspects of providing inspiration. And then he'll talk about guidance as well. So in the first one, it's words of help and edification. What jumped out in in that section for you? I've got almost the whole thing marked up. So. (laughs) It's on page fifty-two. Yeah, uh, beginning on page fifty-one, going into fifty-two, and and um, actually, it was the next one that I really marked up. But the, you know, what stood out here is, uh, um, you know, how do you know? I think he's starting into to get into, um, you know, how do we know if this is truly the Holy Spirit, or 
or just some some muse. You know, he he calls upon you know that's a reference to the muse of Greek mythology. And well, let me cut off. Yeah. I'm going to just speak to you about the second paragraph, fathers. Did I want to hear your experience of oh. par- page 52, the second paragraph, where he talks about he begins to think about something, and then all of a sudden something else just floods in. He said, uh, and so is this normal? He said, I certainly agree the process of ordinary muse of authorship. He said, but when I read back what I just said yeah, and actually right. derive benefit from it, and my writing was more profound than anything I had consciously thought of previously, I must admit I'm truly giving pause. I find myself asking, who said that? It really doesn't sound like something I would say. It doesn't sound like my style. The content seems to have exceeded my unlimited powers of perception and wisdom. And do you experience that in preparing homilies? I do, especially when, well, it's really interesting for me when, when people come to me and, and, you know, even after like a week later after I've preached the Sunday homily and said, Father, I've been thinking about it all week, this homily that you gave, and uh, and uh, and it really spoke to me, and, and they'll tell me how, and I'm like, well, that's interesting. I don't recall saying anything about that, <laughs> but it's but it's still, whatever it was, whatever combination of words I put to, you know, put the page, you know, spoke to them apparently what they needed to hear, and... Uh, and and they'll be thanking me, and I'm like, man, don't thank me. I mean, whatever it was that I said, it was the Holy Spirit that that uh, you know made me made me do it, kind of a thing. I have experienced that. Yeah, I do think that uh, I tend to write out my Sunday homilies and not my daily mass homilies, um, and I, I I think this happens not always, certainly, but but it, it does happen in both both senses. And you know it in the sense of well, usually for me it's it's it, this what he describes is, is is applicable sometimes, but also when you're preaching you say I, you you just know when it's hitting home and when it's not, um, and you, and you know it's not that's not what you're saying, but there there are times when you're thinking, boy that that was that was powerful and wasn't my power, um, and I and I know that in fact this has touched people and I don't know why you know I mean I I can't identify that other fact I know what's happening. Also, perhaps in the confessional, when you say something, you say, well, I wonder where that came from. Um, where you give a, a word of, of advice, challenge, or something like this, that if it hits home when, you know, deeper and more accurately than you ever knew about. So I do think it happens. So what was striking to me about this, a couple of things. So um, I wrote down, on, on, and again, in, my call, uh, in the uh, margin, journaling. Like, how many times do you go back to your journals and you're like, wow, that's really insightful. Who wrote that? Wait a minute. That was me 10 years ago? Holy cow. How did I forget that insight? And it was one of those inspirations of the Holy Spirit. The second was he gets into, like, an insight into when these things occur. Like, when are you likely to have the Holy Spirit prompt you with, okay, here's your thesis statement, and then all of a sudden it unfolds into this other thing. And he talks about this sense of being drawn and it's at the bottom, it's the last paragraph there. The usual context when the Holy Spirit of love operates is when we're trying to help or edify another person. The Spirit doesn't blast thoughts into our heads, but rather gives us a thesis statement with a sense of drawing us onto something deeper. Now we must, in our freedom, must follow this sense of being drawn. If we do, then our desire to help and our effort to formulate combine with this the sense of following. Wisdom and words begin to tumble out. Isn't that powerful? I've mm-hmm. never read that anywhere before it's and talk about that that's his experience like casting a whole light on like how i look at and how i've experienced things in my own life i don't know i I don't know fathers if you've ever read that before but i found that super interesting yeah i hadn't read that before but you know it's interesting the usual context is when we're trying to help or edify another person you know the gifts of the holy spirit yes they're for our benefit but ultimately they need to bear fruit 
and how do they bear fruit if we're using it and putting it to good use for the for the betterment of someone else? And so I, I appreciate that he acknowledges that in a, in a single sentence. It's just you know, char- charity. Charity is a massive fruit of the Holy Spirit, and, and that's an act of charity is trying to help another. That's what I was about to say. It's charity at work there, and it's, it's the way it goes. You, you have charity helps charity. You know, it, it's just it's all one thing. So today, in Sunset, as we're going through the book. Um, Christ versus Satan in our daily lives, we're exploring the way that the Holy Spirit is the God of love who is with us, is at work inspiring and guiding us. Another way that he inspires and guides is through what's called the census fidei, and that's the second section here. And he references uh, lots of teaching, and again, some of his own experience, which I loved reading about, especially when he read the Summa and loved it, at least some of it. Um, <laughs> Father Nagel, anything jump out at you about that section? About the... Uh this, the census fide section, page I, 53, I, 55. Yeah, this one, page 54. Um, he talked about when he was in high school. And he, you know, he hadn't had as much theology as he had up, you know, now. But the idea of, he knew, he knew there, I, I knew there was something wrong. So when I was in high school, I had some fine catechism teachers, but they did not equip me for the ideas I was to confront in college. Yet I knew that there was something wrong with quote-unquote situation ethics, even though at first I found it, rather noble and attractive. I wanted to believe that all I needed to do was to seek the greatest amount of, of neighbor welfare for the greatest number of people, et cetera, et cetera. And yet I felt a deep disquiet in a feeling of, amid the feelings of nobility and simplicity, and I began to sense an air of omission that was not yet clear to my discursive power. I do think that this is something that, you know, when we're talking about the census fidei, when we're talking about the faithful, you know, they, I think they do have an ability to, you know, uh, a baloney detector, so to speak, if not a stronger word than that, um, that they, they may not be able to articulate what isn't right. I see this, though, in terms of preachers, when, you know, just faithful, very, you know, simple Catholics, when they hear preachers, they know, is this person faithful and orthodox or not? They, they, they just, I think there's a sense um, that's there, and that's, that's what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Father Lewis, I know you really like this section, so you want to build off of that at all? Well, I appreciated that he had a section on the census fee day, in, in addition to the content therein, because I think if I, I, a lot of people I talk to, the census fee day gives this idea, well, the, the faithful, we have the sense, and, and almost can, can, especially in our American mindset, this idea of a majority vote kind of a thing. And that's not it at all. He just defines clearly, well, he, count, he, he uh, uh, summarizes the Council Fathers, Vatican II, uh, when we loyally defer to the teaching authority of the church, then census fide can come into play, but but it begins with the magisterium of the church. And I, I, I emphasize that, and so does he. I think, you know, for example, if, if census fide were merely a matter of majority vote, then then artificial contraception would be the norm of the church. But of course it is not, even though something like, like 98% of couples contracept or something like that. But but the census fide would not agree to that because it is not authentically of, of what the church has believed, and so it is, it is not majority vote. I'm just glad that he had the, a whole section on what this is and then goes on to explain the, how the Holy Spirit speaks through that. Well, if we had more time, we could dig into this because uh, loyally deferring is a way of describing respectful obedience, which is two words in Latin, obsequium religiosum. It actually has to do with reverential obedience, not just respectful but reverential obedience. There's this religious submission of mind and will to the teaching of the church, which becomes the doorway to being led into the teaching of the church, shining a light 
that is good and true and beautiful into our lives. But without that, and he refers to it as loyally deferring, right? We're going to miss out on that. Um, boy, there's so much more to say on that. Mm. Um, but we don't have time. So <laughs> this we're is going where it comes to... into St. Thomas, though, that idea of, <laughs> uh, of reading St. Thomas books as being his sense of uh, fidei is that there was something really good there. He didn't understand it completely, but he, could, he recognized the presence. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because I, I felt like um, maybe I just wanted to see myself in a mirror uh, because he found some of the structures like deadening, uh-huh. but the insights that are packed into reply to objection three uh-huh. is so powerful and it just stands on its own. You want to cherry pick it out and just savor it. It's so beautiful. That tends to be how I enjoy the Summa. Some of the answers themselves are beautifully organized, but oftentimes these reply to objections are just filled with these nuggets that it's like, how did you come up with that? <laughs> so, anyways. Uh, Well, we're up against another break. Um, When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation in the final section, fathers, of our discussion of the book, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives, part one of how many we'll find out in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. I'm with Father Jeff Lewis and Father Kurt Nagel. We're discussing the book on the Sacred Art Radio Book Club edition, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives, the comet, cosmic struggle between good and evil. And we made a decision at the beginning of um, our discussion uh, before we even came on the air that, you know what, let's focus on chapter one because this would be the most valuable, the most valuable section for our listeners. And so um, with that said, I, we did already identify that the second section is really rich. If you have any interest in biblical theology and in exegetical um, explorations of certain scriptural passages, whether it's around Jesus' temptation in the desert, his actual casting out of demons, fascinating, fascinating teachings there in theology to really dig into. The third the third uh, chapter in the first section on um, on um, diabolical possession, that the devil is real, um, has, again, super interesting explorations into how do you determine that a phenomenon is mystical, um, and then how do you determine what uh, an ex- uh, someone who's possessed looks like. I found his theology of possession to be so succinct, so clear. It frankly was the most... Um, helpful summary of possession that I've ever read. That's yeah. that's in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, mine too. Yes, it, I mean it's it's very straightforward and understandable. Yep, and and he brought out details of the um, in in the two exorcisms that I found really interesting. I, I had never heard of the the woman's case. Um, what was her name? Julia. 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 Um, but Robbie, the case that involved the exorcist, there were some new aspects to that that I hadn't known. Um, right. That he was able to uh, elicit in his very well annotated section, footnoted section. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. In the final um, minute, uh, final sections that we have, uh, final few minutes we have in this section, I'm going to give you fathers a chance to focus in on any remaining part of the God of love is with us that you'd like. We don't have to stay in this section on the guidance and inspiration of the Spirit. And I see Father Lewis is rapidly switching through pages <laughs> to pick trying, out the section trying. he wants. So I'm going to let Father Nagel no, go. No, you haven't seen me because I'm not in the same room with you, but I, I'm, I'm flipping through pages too. I, I okay. was trying to... Well, you, um, go ahead. I'll, I'll dive in if you're still flipping. I, 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 um, 
the last couple of pages before we before getting into um, chapter two, he starts dis- uh, going through the dark nights of the soul, and I didn't realize this before, but but apparently John of the Cross uh, has um, I didn't. Uh, there are four dark nights of the soul. Uh, there's a um, there's a dark night of what's happening to you uh, physically. Uh, dark uh, night of the senses and of the spirit. Yes, and then he breaks those down. Yes, that it, was the newness. Yeah, that was new to me, and it was, and it, it's so when I've tried to communicate what this idea of dark night of the soul all about, um, I realize now in my humility, <laughs> Father Spitzer's teaching me humility, that I had no clue what I was talking about. But there's the dark night of the soul as we're being purged of things, but then God is allowing things, and then God is doing things to us. But it's it's for what? It's for our growth and per, uh, purgation and then growth. And um, and the dark night of the soul that people tend to think about is uh, the passive dark night of the spirit, I think, mm-hmm. is the, the the fourth delineation of the four. That's the one that people are maybe most familiar with, but that's uh, that's the deepest level of that. But Anyway, um, that that was really fascinating to me, and that comes at the end of the of the last section of chapter one. Okay, did you feel convicted when you read his description of what the active purgation that's involved in the first dark night, what that could mean for your life? <laughs> he talked about setting down media, not looking at TV, more time in contemplation, making serious efforts to not be comfortable. It was like, man, he was just like smacking <laughs> me around. I, but I, th- I loved it. I loved it. I felt actually kind of affirmed by that because I'm... <laughs> I'm doing some of those things anyway. Oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. You tell him, Father Lewis. <laughs> get that parishioner in shape. Yes. So, uh, Father uh, Nagel, did I you do, want to I pick up think, on any of that? I think the, the last, from page 70 to 70, from 70 to 87, which Father Lewis was then um, the conclusion, it is a really interesting and short take upon what uh, Teresa of Avila and John on the Cross talk about um, in terms of the purgative, illuminative, and unitive uh, states of uh, prayer. And so in, it, he does come up with a little um, illuminations or clarifications or a new twist on things. I do think it's worth, you know, you, you might think of yourself as this Carmelite person and you've got it down pretty well. But I, th- I think he, his, his take on that whole process between those stages of prayer is worth uh, just looking at because, again, there's, there's new insights and he comes out a little differently, though it's still clearly um, based on those two doctors of the church. I agree. And did you notice, fathers, that he was, he was telling a lot of personal like anecdotes when it came to the purgative way, the first dark night, the illuminative way, and some of the second dark night. But as soon as he started moving into uh, the unitive way, he just started quoting saints. Yep. Yeah. He just like he he just hid behind everything, and um, either he's humbly acknowledging that he's really not there yet, or he just was like, "I'm not going to share personally. I'm going to let the saints speak to this, mm-hmm. and I'll recede into the background." I noticed that as well, and I, I thought, "How how clever of you, Father, that uh, you kind of uh, you, indi- you you indicate where you are in your own spiritual growth." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was good. All right, final comments, Fathers. We're uh, up against the end of our time. Well, one thing I would say, the first glance of this book, I kind of panicked because it is so large, but I don't find it's not I don't find it difficult. I think he just puts a lot of content, but as we've been saying, he uh it's very organized, uh, a lot of personal anecdotes to to keep it interesting. It's it's not I don't find it overly complicated theology like like a lot of brilliant men like himself, brilliant writers. I think it's very very um very engaging and, and very accessible. I would agree. I think that um, that it, it is an intimidating book. It's 400 pages. Um, but the truth of the matter is 
that it's not um, it's in, it's intimidating in its size, but not in its approach to the to the work or to the reader. So I'm going to make a bold claim here at the end. I believe that this trilogy establishes Father Spitzer as one of those like names that is worth mentioning uh, among the great theologians of our time. Like Avery Dulles would be an American theologian who is a systematic theologian covering a broad swath of areas that made him worth studying. That what he covers in this book, you know, following the quartet, but then what he covers in this book and then the other two, it broadens the range. Like you're going to read a lot about what he, how he considers prayer in the next book, how he considers spiritual growth and temptations and discernment in this book. It, it, it really is like, wow, Father Spitzer is a gift to our time, it, way beyond what I had realized. Um, I'd considered him more of a scholarly individual with some insights into the culture. He's way more than that, and this book really does yeah, make that manifest. All right. Thank you all. Uh, thank you, fathers, for joining me. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, please say a prayer for the, the newly ordained and pray a prayer, say a prayer for those young men who made their Quo Vadis uh, retreat, that the Lord would continue to sow seeds and, and make it clear what their call is. God bless you guys. Join me tomorrow for more Sun Insight.